0: All right, so um, can you tell me something I really didn't need to know? Hey, Mom, tell me something I didn't need to know. So how about let's learn something we really don't need to know? Okay, ready? I
1: am ready. Okay. I am ready. Okay, we've been recording, so. Cool. Yeah, it tells me. It, it gives me a little oh, thing. A, okay. I want to leave right. the room. It says, you are now recording. Do you really want to stay and you stick
0: it. around or get the hell out. Yeah. All right. Welcome everybody. Good Hi, morning. How are you? I am good. How are you? Wonderful. The it
1: temperature was just, here? The,
0: just the good. two of us today.
1: Yes. Yes. Just the two of us. The temperature here are finally nice. It's uh, only in the 80s during the day. Down oh, in the really? 50s at night. So nice yeah it's snow on the ground yeah i, I saw really cool. we don't like it but yeah it i, I, I do? Keep sending snow angel memes to certain people who keep like not liking
0: them so okay so hannah's not with us today she's not really feeling up to it so we are hoping that by the end of the day she is feeling better and will be with us next week it's just a yeah. little under the weather. Anyway, welcome to tell me something I didn't need to know for everybody who's with us. Um, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time today. I'm Lynn Samuels. Good point. I'm Mary Swartz. <laughs> Apparently, without Hannah we can't do this. Yeah, we don't, we yeah. don't really do it well without Hana. <laughs>
1: yeah. I am uh, drinking coffee today as. I guess almost every time
0: I'm always drinking yeah, coffee. Yeah, we usually are. Coffee or tea. Coffee or tea. How about you today? I have some cinnamon Viennese hot cocoa stuff. Hot cocoa stuff. Kind, kind of boring. Eh? Yeah. I don't
1: know. Well, on the you, boring side. I thought it sounded kind of exciting. I was like, maybe I should go put some cinnamon in mine and cocoa. So. Well, I was going through
0: cupboards and trying to use stuff up. Gotcha. You know. Yeah. Sometimes that's what I do. Oh. So What's
1: there happening anything in your life? I was just going to ask you the same thing. Anything happening? Uh, just, uh, what is, oh, knitting, uh, crocheting, crocheting, I crochet. So I'm oh. working on a, uh, stocking for someone, uh, I don't have good success with my stockings, I realized last night. I knitted, crocheted two stockings, and those people are no longer part of our family anymore. Not that they died. They just didn't stick around, you know, friends of the family, and then they fade out of your life. So I'm like, uh-oh, maybe I curse people by crocheting them a stocking. Here's your stocking. Bye. So let me yeah. get you my list. <laughs> I did. I did. I I did. I said to Brendan last night, I've got a couple people I think I'm going to crochet a stocking for. Not because I like them. That is so funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you uh, learned how to crochet. Grandma was a good crocheter. I am, uh, as you probably saw, I think I sent you some washcloths of uh, crookedness. Uh, I am not the best at crocheting. My stitches do not tend to all be the same size, which makes the rows off. And so my My uh, washcloths tend to not be nice and square. They tend to be like trapezoids. I (laughs) think that comes with practice, though. All kinds of bizarre things. Yeah, and I don't actually do a lot. So, but yeah, so uh, Brennan's mom had had a literally a closet full of yarn. I have tons and tons and tons of yarn. And so I've mentioned Derek and he said his friend would probably like a stocking. So uh i am making one and they're into japanese anime so when i asked them what colors because i don't do traditional colors if they don't want it said like japanese anime colors so i looked at him and was like japanese anime colors Uh uh-huh i know what that is i know what that Uh, encompasses but so i looked up japanese anime stockings which there's a okay. lot of girls in there and they wear stockings. So I got the wrong thing, but it did give me color scheme. So apparently, sure. and maybe I'm wrong. So if our listeners know Japanese anime, there's probably lots of colors, but I saw a lot of black and white with some hot pink and then teal and purple, like bright colors. So I'm doing a black and white striped stocking. And then the heel and the toe are going to be hot pink. And then the top part of it, it'll have a little cuff around the top edge. will have some teal purple yarn. Uh, like from edgy. Cool. That's so, pretty cool. Yeah. Well, we'll good see. Because I also don't follow. Because I'm such a good crocheter, I don't even need to follow the you know the the tutorial. Like they tell you how many stitches of what kind. I'm like that's right. a little bit small. I think I'm just gonna change it a little bit because I'm so good at this. I should just mess with it. So yeah, we'll see.
0: Ready That's awesome, yeah. though. Yeah. Good for you. Good so that's me. what I'm doing. How about you? I don't really have anything going on in my life right now. Kind of boring. Same old, same old. That's all right. Boring's good. All right. Uh, word of the day. Word of the word week. Of the
1: day. Word, word of the of week. week. I've got a good one. It's okay. Epicene. Epicene. Can you spell E-P-I-C-E-N-E? that? E P I C E N E. Like epipen, and then scene. C E N E. Okay. Um, it's a center of something. You might think so. They think they are these people. Sometimes think Uh-oh. they are.
0: Oh, oh.
1: Okay, what is it? It is an. It's it's a uh, person who doesn't look like their gender. It's normally used for a man, and it's yeah. an effeminate man. He's not really masculine. He dresses kind of girly. So you know, yeah. I think. I think of, what do we call them now? Uh, Those guys who like really take care of themselves. Metrosexual guys, maybe. I'm not really familiar familiar with that term. But even more, and and I wasn't familiar with that term until I looked it up and found that word and was like, oh, okay. But yeah, so like a guy who dresses very feminine would be Episcene. Okay.
0: Okay. How about Metacism? Metacism. M y t a. C I S M. Oh, M Y
1: T A. Yeah. No googling. No, I'm not. I was writing it because I need to see it because it. Okay. M Y T A C I S M. Well, I was thinking of mystic for some reason, but I bet it's not mystic. So, myticism. Um, well, criticism is is insulting. So I would say it's the opposite. It's complimenting people.
0: Not even close. All right. Okay. It is the excessive or the wrong use of the sound of a letter. Like if you take the letter M and you go, "Mm," that's really excessive. I see. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. That's meticism. Mythicism. All right. Excellent. Weird. weird. It's weird. But that's kind of why we find this stuff, right? Yes, I love weird. weird words out. Mitticism. Yeah. All right. Very okay, cool. so you have a couple puppy dogs. I have a puppy dog. Yes. All right. Um, so did you know that your puppies no longer have to join you on the sofa if they want to watch the soap operas or if you're binging something on Netflix? Did you know that? Why wouldn't they join me? I need them because like, sometimes I get upset at the soap
1: operas and I cry a little and I need their comfort, Mary. They've got to be with me.
0: Because because now your dogs have their own special TV programming. They have a range of specialist pooch-friendly content that they can enjoy with or without you. Have Dog they created like, TV- me for dogs? <laughs> <laughs> Dog TV is a... Brand new television network created specifically for dogs, and it is setting to launch in the UK right now. Because we don't watch enough TV already. Well, we're talking about your dog. This is for your dog. This isn't about you anymore. Hi. Um, So they spent three years researching. The channel will air scientifically tested programming, which aims to alleviate the symptoms of conditions such as separation anxiety loneliness, and stress. Dog TV will also have shows to help you as an owner better understand and look after your puppies. The channel has been developed following studies into dogs' physiological and psychological needs, their moods, and their responses. It will help them feel more stimulated or relaxed when needed. So the colors, the audio frequencies, and the camera alignment have all been adapted to cater to dog senses. Professor Nicholas Dottam, who's the chief scientist for Dog TV, stated that Dog TV is an excellent resource for dog owners to help alleviate some of the behavioral problems that can arise when they are left alone. So put that on your puppy's bucket list. Well, it's
1: in the UK. We'll see if it makes it to America because in America, we just take our dogs with us everywhere. We, you know, put them in our little carrying cases. Or we oh, now bird. put on strollers and we- Backpacks, child Although, carriers. You know, when we traveled with our dogs, we didn't want to leave them in the van a lot because it was the right. summer and I don't right. like to do that. So we did take them with us, and but most of the time on a leash. I don't have a stroller. However, we did buy for for Luke, we did buy a front carrying thing because he is- special. He's got neurological problems and uh, he's terrified of literally everything. I don't know if I've talked about that before, but he is so scared people, especially. So when I realized we were going to be in crowds of people, I was like, Oh, I can just see him just being freaked out. So I was like, all right, if he gets freaked out, we have a carrying thing. So it was like a doggy back you wear on your front. And he actually, for the most part, I think there was only twice that we really needed to use it. Most of the time he just we tried to avoid big groups of people when we went out with him, but yeah, but I'm not a stroller person. I'm like, I'm not putting the dogs in a stroller. They are meant to walk. They can probably walk farther than you can. Yeah, so, that is uh, very people true. People who push their dogs in a stroller, I'm like, unless you have a dog who like mine has a neurological problem, let your doggie walk, let it walk. They
0: need to walk. They love to walk.
1: Only that guess what if they walk then you clip their nails less because that wears their nails away
0: I think it depends on what you're walking on I think so yeah then. well yeah but like if you're I'm out doing. in
1: the woods I don't think so if you are pushing a stroller with your dog in the woods, <laughs> it's just I'm going for a walk in the woods while carrying my dog yeah I have not seen that one yet. I have not seen anyone pushing their dog in a stroller in the woods. So, wow. So yeah. All right. Most in the cities. So How
0: yeah. Do that's interesting. Allig- How do you feel about
1: alligators? I think they could use the dog TV. I think it might stimulate them. <laughs> I do. I think that too many alligators, they just assume that the alligators are okay being left alone. And Really, I, I think that they need stimulation too. So you're I think we need alligator TV. Ooh, good plan. I okay. like it. Let's get started on alligator TV next, Mary.
0: Hmm. Three years of research, honey. I'm going to uh, be the grant for be, that for you.
1: Yeah, I'm going to be the alligator scientist behind it. Yeah. <laughs> hey,
0: I hope you're smarter than this next woman. Okay. All right. Ah, this was in Utah, Salt Lake City, Utah. An animal handler attacked by an alligator as crying children looked on has said, she loves the the reptile and that the reptile should not face any consequences. Lindsay Bull was left wrestling with the creature after it clamped its jaws down on her hand in front of the children and adults while they were having a children's birthday party at Scales and Tails in Salt Lake City, Utah. She was eventually rescued from the alligator, who was named Darth Gator, after visitor Donnie Wiseman leapt into the water, climbed on top of the animal and freed her. Video of the incident was viewed by millions online, obviously, but Lindsay and the reptile center owner say that it shouldn't come under any harm as a result of the attack. Lindsay Bull, who avoided losing her limb after undergoing surgery said, We are going to fight as long as we can to keep him. As long as he is in our care and it is our choice, no consequences are going to happen to him. He was just doing what an animal does, to which I say, get the hell out of his cage because you don't belong with him. So Lindsay told the newspaper she had worked with Darth Gator for more than three years and that he had been trained to respond to commands, including, I don't even know if I can say this with a straight face, including to allow her to kiss him on the face. Oh, I love him, she said. He is like a member of my family. That is really true of anybody that works with him. Everybody loves Darth, Darth Gator. She said the ha- attack happened when the alligator became confused because he was he knew he was about to be fed and he mistook her hand for food. For all he knew, it was a piece of chicken and he grabbed it. Um, so the owner of Scales and Tails says that Gator skater was just having a bad day. Animal rights group PETA has called for the business to be shut down to which, you know, I, I think I have to agree with him on that. I, uh, yeah, that's,
1: it's an alligator kind of like the thing I did on the, the past, the snakes, the lady who, you know, had the snakes. They're wild animals, like, they're a wild animal. Not only that, but they're a reptile. Reptiles do not have the brain function to be trained like your dog does. And again, your dog can have a bad day. Your dog has a bad day. It probably pees on the floor or it nips you. And yeah, it might hurt a little for the most part, but an alligator can do some serious damage. So yeah, I just don't get people who want to play with reptiles. Like I like having them. I think they're cool. I think it's good to show people so that people learn that they're not these horrible, scary things
2: and to right. do outreach
1: programs. But you can do it without wrestling with it. There is zero reason other than, it I would say, huge. hubris. Like like the feeling of it, like that, that it probably gives you an adrenaline rush. It's more damaging, I think, for the animal
0: than the human. I don't know that it would be damaging for the animal unless you destroy the animal for the attack. Right, that's whatever. what I mean. Just nature comes, you know, that's just natural. Right. Right. I think that there's... <sighs> If you're gonna keep alligators, they're for education. They're not entertainment purposes, in my opinion. Yep, I agree. I went to an alligator center in Florida many years ago and I was just very disgusted. I really was. Because, you know, they're, you know, I can put I can put my whole head in this alligator's mouth. Well, yeah, you can because you've removed all of his teeth. I was so angry. They had removed all of this alligator's teeth. Yeah. The
1: the is stunt. Yeah, the for profit of using animals for profit when it's damaging again with that alligator, especially when you have to do something like that. It is, it's disgusting that people do that and it don't it, understand yeah. that not what it is. Yeah. I do have a question about the lady though. So it bit her hand. Yeah. So if she had lost her hand, would they have nicknamed her Luke?
0: I don't know. But, you know, it's not his fault, and I agree with that. It's not. That's natural instinct. Yeah, and I don't know. Even
1: as you would say, it's a bad day. Like that's a ridiculous. It's have the yes. alligators having a bad day. No, I think what the lady said, it probably got confused and got food and bit her hand. So,
0: or he didn't want her touching him. Yeah, because maybe she was invading his personal bubble. Yeah a little snappy with
1: her yeah could be maybe she uh yeah, yeah. got too close Sweet, yeah all right get a story for us i have a little mini story so okay. all right my mini you, story you, you do that and i'll do a little story too okay we'll all start right. with, so all right i'm uh calling this one but do they do the macarena Ooh, do they do the Macarena? Yes. All right. So, Mary, do you remember when you were a child, and to our listeners, do you remember hearing the song Yankee Doodle Dandy? Yes. Okay. So, when you heard that song, you remember Yankee Doodle went to town riding on a pony, stuck a feather in his
0: hat, and called it. Called it Macaroni. Why? Why? Because it rhymed. Okay. That's the only reason I could think of.
1: Yeah, when you were a kid, did you ever think about it? Did you envision it and think it was weird? I remember thinking it was weird, and I was like, "Macaroni? Why is there macaroni?" So, inquiring minds want to know. Okay. So, is there a reason for this? Why is this song, and why did we learn the song when we were like, what does it have to do with you know? Why was it a song that we learned as kids and we all sang? So, because obviously teachers taught us in school, so it has to have something to do. So all right so the song it turns out actually dates back to during the revolutionary war it was written by dr richard Schuckberg, who was actually an army surgeon for britain yankee referred to any american living in the colonies makes sense they called us all yankees so so the british called everybody over here who wasn't british they called him a yankee so that's right yeah. a doodle means a fool <laughs> yeah So, Yankee Doodle. Uh And the British, of course, they didn't care for the colonists. I mean, you know, we did have a war with them. They felt that the colonists had poor manners and they dressed sloppily compared to them. They kind of looked down their nose at us. They also, that tricorn hat we wore, we wore, colonists wore, uh, a lot of colonists put a feather in their hat. And uh, the British thought that was very silly. So. Again, why did they begin calling this feather a macaroni? Around the mid 1700s, the rich young aristocrats of Europe, especially around France, discovered the actual macaroni, the pasta from Italy. It was new to the other parts and they actually fell in love with it. They loved it. They thought it was like the best, most amazing food everywhere. And so they began to refer to anything they loved and thought was amazing as macaroni you know young people come up with new words for things they were like oh that's so macaroni dude did you see that horse that horse is totally macaroni oh yeah I went to a totally macaroni play last night it had the best punch at intermission so macaroni just kind of became a word that meant cool and exciting and fabulous and rad and Yes, in all the words we've come up with, you know. So during that time, Charles James Fox and his young aristocratic friends started a club and they actually named it the Macaroni Club. So there was the Macaroni Club. Now, the thing also at this time is fashion. Fashion was changing as it does and the young men began to take it to extreme. The previous darker colors um, that people had been wearing we're giving away to brighter colors and the fabrics were also getting lighter. So the men, the young aristocratic men really went bold on this. And of course the older generation were like, yeah, no, we're gonna stick with our dark heavy clothes. Right. So a macaroni was became a person, a guy, and he would dress in these extravagant, bright colored silken clothes, lots of lace, tights, shorter tight jackets their jackets used to be really really long and they they shortened up the back of them the tails of them so it barely went over their butt and a lot of older people found this just hideous and commented on it and they wore super fancy Braveful shoes and
0: scandalous yes
1: yes the You're guys also leave, yes and the guys these macaroni guys would wear jewels and large and I do mean large Mary like huge powdered wigs with ringlets on it and uh, (laughs) and uh, they wore these tiny hats and they were called Niva Noir and they were that was actually named after some famous guy back then but they called them Niva Noir and they would wear these tiny hats on top of these huge wigs which just looked ridiculous And these, these macaronis, they would spend their time going to plays. They would study music and art. They weren't really interested in true education as it was seen. They were frivolous and made fun of a lot. They just were so considered ridiculous. And you got to remember they were all young, really rich guys. So they were just, they could do whatever they wanted. Their parents had made the money and, uh, they weren't into being educated. They weren't into hard work. They just spent all their time going to plays and listening to music and discussing this stuff and thinking they were all that. So magazines, um, they either loved them or hated them. So uh, they actually, there were a couple of magazines that came out that they titled macaroni magazines. So kind of like GQ back then. Okay. So, uh, but on the other hand, there were a ton of articles in the mainstream magazines that people wrote. Um, articles and cartoons just mocking them and as fads do um so yeah mm. so as all fads do it faded away and eventually went away but meanwhile the british they had this song and they sang it to mock the colonists basically calling them stupid dandies so remember yankee doodle dandy yep. and then called it macaroni so they're saying that they that feather made them think of the The guys they were making fun of, obviously, probably the guys over here fighting from Britain were like, yeah, those dandies over there, you're a lot like them. So, however, around 1775, the Battle of Concord and after the Battle of Lexington, which Americans won, the colonists decided to take that song and sing it back at the British like, oh, yeah, call us stupid dandies who's winning, you know. And as Americans won more battles, they began to sing the song even more, and they turned it into a mockery of the British, and it actually became the unofficial American anthem for the rest of the war. So that's the story behind the Yankee Doodle Dandy and what the macaroni really
0: is. So that's pretty cool. Because no, none of us ever think about that when we're kids and we learn these little nursery rhyme things. We don't think about them. They, yeah. they just rhyme and they're cool. And so we sing them and dance to them and yep, we don't usually dissect them when we're five and six.
1: And I remember Ring Around the Rosie. I know that's about a plague, I believe. Ring Around a Rosie. There was a plague in a pocket full of posies. They'd put uh, flowers in people's pockets to try to make them smell better. And then ashes, ashes, because they burn the bodies afterwards. So, so yeah. And we sang that song, and it was like, oh, it's a
0: song about everybody dying. But I know, and like London Bridge is falling down. Yeah, why is that fun? Really, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think I read all the uh, most of the fairy tales okay. and, and the like Disney stories. A lot of them came from like grim fairy tales, and were actually pretty horrific.
0: Kind of did that a number oh, of did months she? ago. The origins of some of our um, fairy tales. And they're so dark and gruesome and just slightly horrifying. And <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, yep. Definitely make sure we think it. Okay. Or
1: just what Disney didn't turn them into cutesy million dollar businesses. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because that's the way we like life. We like it cute, colorful. We don't like it morbid and dark and all that good shit. True that. Alrighty. What do you got? Oh. I have a story for you. I'm calling it free beer for all. I like it. Free beer for all. I'm there. Free beer for all. Men have been brewing beer since about 4000 BC. They started with animal skin pouches and they moved to ceramic vessels. Ceramic jars remained the main fermentation and storage vessels for thousands of years after that, but they were fragile and they were rather impractical. And it wasn't until sometime between 500 and 1000 A.D. that we know that wooden vessels were beginning to be used for the brewing process. Early vats were bound with wooden hoops. And in the 19th century, these were gradually replaced by metal hoops that were stronger, more durable and took up less space. It wasn't until after 1814 that breweries began to look for other materials with which to construct their vats. And here is the story of why. In the early 19th century, the Mew Brewery was one of the two largest in London, along with Whitbread. In 1809, Sir Henry Mew purchased the Horseshoe Brewery at the junction of Tottenham Court Road and Oxford Street. Mew's father, Sir Richard Mew, has previously co-owned the Griffin Brewery on Liquor Pond Street. In that brewery, he had constructed the largest vat in London, capable of holding 20,000 imperial barrels. Do you know what an imperial barrel is? Nope. 20,000 imperial barrels is the equivalent of 860,000 U.S. gallons. That's a lot. That's a hell of a lot for one vat, especially in 1809. Huh. When they were still using wood, yeah. Nowadays, the largest vats in the world only hold sixteen hundred imperial barrels, so that is less than one tenth of the size that they were using in the seventeen and the eighteen hundreds. That's a little scary if you think about it. Yeah, I just, I just eight hundred and sixty thousand gallons they were putting in one. And how they built this thing, like, because yeah. All right, here we're we're gonna break this down. All right, okay, so Richard's the father, Henry's the son. Henry Mew matched his father's large vat and he constructed a wooden vessel that was twenty two feet high, sixty feet wide, and capable of holding eighteen, thousand imperial barrels, which is only seven hundred and sixty thousand gallons in the US. Okay, so a little bit smaller, twenty nine metal hoops, each weighing, 700 pounds, wrapped around the vat to hold it together. 22 feet high, 60 feet wide, and 29 metal hoops are holding this thing together. Now, Henry only brewed Porter, which is a dark beer that was first brewed in London. And it actually was the most popular alcoholic drink in that capital at that time. Mew and Company had brewed 102,000 Imperial barrels in the 12 months up to July 1812 which is about 4.4 million gallons. So if you think in the early 1800s, that's a hell of a lot of alcohol. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's a lot
0: of alcohol now, I would think, but. But I think
1: back then they didn't have like refrigerators. So I think most people drank alcohol. There wasn't a lot of other choices.
0: Right. Right. So. So when you're brewing Porter at that time, they left it in the large vessels to mature for several months. Or if you wanted the really best quality, you would leave it in your vessel for a year. At the rear of the Horseshoe Brewery ran a street called New Street. It was a small cul-de-sac, and it actually joined onto to Diet Street. And all of these streets were within what was called the St. Giles Rookery. A rookery is an English term for a city slum that was occupied by poor people and frequently by criminals and prostitutes. These areas were commonly overcrowded. They would have low quality housing and they would have little to no sanitation. Their dwellings were usually poorly constructed, built with multiple stories, and often they would just put them wherever the hell they could find room. So you usually ended up with very densely populated areas, narrow streets and alleyways. The rookery, this particular one, covered an area of eight acres, And according to a professor of Irish literature, this rookery was a perpetually decaying slum that seemed to always be on the verge of social and economic collapse. About 4.30 on the afternoon of October 17th of 1814, George Crick, who's the storehouse clerk of the brewery was making his rounds. And he saw that one of these 700 pound iron bands around the vat had slipped. Crick he had been with the company for 17 years. He'd watched it grow all the way up to the city's fifth largest producer, of Porter. And he was aware that this happened two or three times a year. He didn't really think anything of it, but he did know that the 22 foot vessel was filled within four inches of the top of the barrel. And it was holding 3,555 Imperial barrels of 10 month old Porter. And it weighed approximately 32 long tons. So long ton is a liquid measurement, means it's about 72,000 pounds of beer. George was also aware that fermenting beer creates pressure inside of the barrel. So he told his supervisor about the problem. But his supervisor basically said, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. We'll take care of it. Supervisor told George to write a note to Mr. Young, who was one of the partners of the brewery, to make sure it got fixed. So he did. He wrote a note. He left it on Mr. Young's desk and he put the issue out of his mind because that's just how they handled it. That's how they always handled it. This time was going to be just a little bit different. About an hour after the hoop fell off, George Crick is standing on a platform. So he's up in the air about 30 feet from the vat. He's holding another note to Mr. Young when the vessel blew apart at the seams. And according to George, he said, I was on a platform about 30 feet from the vat. I heard the crash went off as it went off. I ran immediately to the storehouse where the vat was situated. It caused dreadful devastation on the premises. He uh, said it knocked four butts over. And a butt is actually an English term for a wooden vat that only holds 126 gallons of liquid. And it started to break and crush several others because the pressure was so excessive. George goes on to say they lost between eight and 9,000 barrels of porter. But along with this, the exploding vat created a domino effect inside the warehouse with all the other vats. The force of the liquid's release knocked the valve that was used to control the flow of the liquid from a neighboring vat, which also began discharging its contents. Several hogsheads of porter were destroyed. Their contents were added to the flood. Somewhere between 128,000 and 323,000 imperial gallons were released. We know that imperial gallons are a lot. So if 20,000 imperial barrels are 860,000 gallons, if you're talking hundreds of thousands of imperial barrels, I can't even begin to figure that math out. The force of the liquid destroyed the rear wall of the brewery, took the whole wall out. The liquid went right through the wall that was 25 feet high and two and a half bricks thick. Some of these bricks were knocked upwards in the sky and eventually fell onto the roofs of the houses on the nearby Great Russell Street. And then a wave of porter, 15 feet high, swept into New Street, where it totally destroyed two houses and badly damaged two others. In one of the houses, a four-year-old girl, Hannah Bamfield, was having tea with her mother and another child. The 15-foot-high wave of beer swept the mother and the second child into the street, and Hannah was killed. In the second destroyed house, a wake was being held by an Irish family for a two-year-old boy. In Seville, the boy's mother and four other mourners, Mary Mulvey, her three-year-old son, Elizabeth Smith, and Catherine Butler were all killed. Eleanor Cooper, a 14-year-old servant at the Tavistock Arms, died. When she was buried under the brewery's collapsed wall, another child, Sarah Bates, was found dead. The land around the buildings was low-lying, and it was flat, and there was obviously insufficient drainage. The beer flowed into cellars, many of which were inhabited, and people were forced to climb on furniture to avoid being drowned. Usually soaked in poverty, the St. Giles neighborhood was now soaked in beer. Rescuers, their clothes drenched in hot malt liquor waded through the waist-high flood of beer, picked their way through the tangle of bricks and wood with their hands in search of those trapped inside. Because remember, this is Porter, which is super dark. You can't see through it. It's not like a pale ale. They tried to silence the gawkers and the frantic family members in order to hear the faint cries and groans emanating from the ruins so they could find people. The surrounding scene of desolation presented a most awful and terrific appearance. All of those who were working in the brewery survived, although three workmen had to be rescued from the rubble. And the superintendent and one of the workers were taken to Middlesex Hospital along with three other people. Now watchmen at the brewery charged people a penny or two pence to view the remains of the destroyed beer vats. So they took this horrific thing and then they made money off of it. Several hundred spectators actually came to view the brewery and the destroyed beer vats. The mourners who were killed in the cellar were given their own wake at the ship public house. The other bodies were laid out in a nearby yard by their families. The public came to see them and donated money for their funerals. Stories later arose of hundreds of people collecting the beer, massive drunkenness, and an actual death from alcohol poisoning. So only two days after the catastrophe, a jury convened to investigate the accident. After visiting the site of the tragedy, viewing the bodies of the victims, and hearing testimony from Crick and others, the jury rendered its verdict. The accident had been an act of God, and the victims had met their deaths casually, accidentally, and by misfortune. Henry Mew and company, who were the owners, received a refund for the excise duty that they paid to produce the beer that they had lost. Lynn's holding her head at this point in time. The Horseshoe Brewery went back into business soon afterwards, but it actually closed in 1921 when Mew moved their production to the Nine Elms Brewery, which they purchased in 1914. Mew and company went into liquidation in 1961. At the time of its closure, the site covered 100,000, 103,000 square feet. The brewery was demolished the following year, and the Dominion Theater was later built on the site. So basically, the only thing that happened after this accident... Were that large wooden tanks were phased out across the brewing industry, and they were replaced with lined concrete vessels. Yes, they made a lot of money off of this tragedy. Times
1: were very different back then. I just I oh, keep they were very different. Myself. Like
0: yeah, very very different. Very different.
1: I just think. Can you imagine Anheuser Busch leading to the death of a child now and? The lawsuit and the amount of money oh that would Oh, my God.
0: Them. Yeah, I can't even imagine. And then if someone came in and said it was an act of God, let us pay you for your misfortune. An act of God. It was an act of God. Yep. Crazy. It is crazy. It is very, very crazy. Right. Thanks, everybody who stopped by, spent part of their day with us. We always love having you with us when we do this. A lot of fun. We hope you enjoyed our stories today. Yes. You can find us on Facebook. What? I said, go have a beer now. Yeah. Have a porter. Yes. You can find us on Facebook and tell me something I didn't need to know. Or at TMSIDNTK at gmail.com. Suggestions, ideas, comments. Send them our way. A lot of our stories we find because you send us suggestions and thoughts. Keep them coming. If you enjoyed your short stop with us, please feel free to follow the podcast, leave us a rating and review. Obviously, you can find us anywhere you listen to your podcast. Um, feel free to share a podcast if you feel like cross advertising. Hit us up. You have any final thoughts for us, Lynn? I
1: just, I think you know, if you're gonna die, especially at a wake, I feel like. Dying by drowning in beer might not be the worst way to go. i would just, you know, an Irish wake. Not saying that. But does they it come in so there. fast that you don't have time to enjoy it? You at least and get some. I'm thinking you're getting some. What if you don't
0: like beer? What if you're a wine drinker?
1: I just and- suspect, being the fact that it was already slums. I don't think people who lived in slums were wine drinkers. I think back then I feel like wine was kind of a very uppity thing. I don't think wine.
0: And my next, my next question and probably last question is, is it worse to drown from water or from beer?
1: I don't know. I'd rather not drown. That's just not a way that um, I'm not
0: going to find that one out. Alrighty. Till next week, guys. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. We love you. We'll see you next week. Bye. One of the greatest
2: storytellers of all time in country music, Tom T. Hall. Oh, in some of my songs, I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. Now this little song, it's more to the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ear. I like beer makes me a jolly good fellow I like beer It helps me unwind Sometimes it makes me feel mellow Makes
1: me feel mellow
2: Oh, that is so pretty, isn't that beautiful? Whiskey's too rough, champagne costs too much And that vodka puts my mouth in gear Oh, this little refrain should help me explain as a matter of fact. I like beer. Yeah. Thank you. My wife often frowns when we're out on the town, and I'm wearing a suit and a tie. She's sipping vermouth, and she thinks I'm uncouth. when I yell as the waiter goes by. Hey, I like beer. Makes me a jolly good fellow, I like beer, it helps me unwind, sometimes it makes me feel mellow, makes him feel
1: mellow,
2: sounds like the Mormon Tabernacle football team, doesn't it? Whiskey's too rough, champagne costs too much. help me explain as a matter of fact i like beer beer. now last night i dreamed i passed from the scene i went to a place so sublime the water was clear and it tasted like beer they turned it all into wine Makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. It helps me unwind. Sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Makes him feel mellow. You want a cigar? You know that? Yeah. Whiskey's too rough. Champagne costs too much. And vodka puts my mouth in gear. Oh, this little. Rep- could help me explain as a matter of fact I like beer yes we like beer yes we